Welcome back to Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast about how the world was, is, and will be ordered. Today, I'm here with GMF senior fellow Jonathan Katz, who had the chance to have a really timely and interesting conversation about a small but pretty important country, North Macedonia, at Brussels Forum last month. We'll get to his conversation in a minute, but first, I thought it would be good to sit down with John here in D.C. for a quick catch-up on what's been going on in that part of the world. Thanks for being here. Uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, It's great to be here. Great. So, like I said, we'll get to your full conversation um, in just a minute, but for those of us who haven't really been following the day-to-day ins and outs of what's been going on in the Balkans, give us the quick top line of why North Macedonia and What's been going on there for the past couple months that make it a relevant topic for us today? Yeah, North Macedonia is one of um, several small countries in the Western Balkans. They're not EU member states. There are a couple of NATO member states like Albania and Croatia. Croatia is also an EU member state and Montenegro is also a NATO member state. So you have this part of Europe that has yet to be fully integrated into Euro-Atlantic institutions, which means the European Union is one of the institutions and the other one is NATO. And you know, for the United States, these are obviously two critical bodies, one NATO in terms of, of transatlantic security. The EU is a critical partner of the United States. And North Macedonia has been a country that has been seeking to join these institutions for quite some time, um, but they were blocked. And so a little over a year ago, there was an agreement reached between Greece, Athens, and Skopje, and the government and North Macedonia, then Macedonia, on a dispute that had been the major diplomatic stumbling block to North Macedonia joining these transatlantic institutions. And so a government, new government came to power in 2016 in North Macedonia, and they basically set about trying to address historic name dispute. And they did. They signed an agreement a little over a year plus ago called the Prespa Agreement to resolve this diplomatic dispute, which by signing the agreement, and fulfilling aspects of the agreement opened the door to North Macedonia joining these institutions, NATO and the EU. And right now, if we look a couple months down the road in December of 2019, NATO will meet and they're going to admit, we believe uh, right now, admit North Macedonia to NATO as its 30th member. And so this is really important for North Macedonia in terms of their security, in terms of their future, but also for the United States and others who have advocated for opening and keeping NATO's door open and increasing the alliance, strengthening transatlantic security. And, and North Macedonia is an important partner in that, an important region with many challenges. So there's a lot happening in North Macedonia. Uh, both on the NATO front and the EU front. I think the reason why it's it's so important and timely is that North Macedonia has become a real beacon for change of democracy, tackling corruption in regions of the world where there's been a lot of democratic backsliding. So when you think about those shining bright lights of, of opportunity that highlight that citizens want their governments to be responsive, to combat corruption, to move their countries closer to those institutions that provide economic and political and and physical security, North Macedonia has been a shining example. And so when we have these conversations, there are a lot of people both in Washington and in Brussels 
and across Europe looking at how best to work and engage with the government in Skopje, including their Ministry of Defense. With all that in mind, you had the chance to sit down with North Macedonia's Minister of Defense, Radmila Shekrinska, and GMF's own Gordana Delic, who's based in Belgrade. And here's that conversation. And so joining me today is Radmila Sekarenska, current Minister of Defense and Deputy Prime Minister of North Macedonia. I also have one of the leading civil society voices from the Western Balkans, GMF's Balkans Trust for Democracy Director, Gordana Delic. Really looking forward to having this conversation because a lot has been happening in the Balkans, but also uh, around the region. But in particular, the EU, which has had a recent election, is undergoing some changes internally, dealing with Brexit, and some are feeling a bit of accession fatigue of new membership. Minister, you've led the efforts on NATO accession talks. A number of countries have already ratified and have moved forward to support your membership in NATO. Can you tell us a little bit about where you are in the process? Are you on track for London to become the 30th member of NATO? Well, first, thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to discuss the rare successes of the Balkans. Uh, I have been usually invited to discuss about the problems, about the crisis. This is a a rare opportunity. Let me start by saying that the NATO track seems to be in order and quite efficient. We have signed the accession protocol at the beginning of February, and by now, already, 20 countries have ratified the accession treaty. And if I go back to previous rounds of enlargement, uh, like, uh, let's say, Albania and Montenegro, what you can see is that in the first five months after the signing of the treaty, they had seven to eight ratifications. And we had 17, 18, now 20. It shows that this is seen as an opportunity not only by us in North Macedonia, but also by the alliance itself. And that the countries, members of the alliance, really felt the need to urge and speed up the process. And this is why we can be realistically optimistic and expect uh, actually membership by the London summit. Usually these things take at least a year, but I think everyone wants to uh, say that the 17th anniversary of the alliance has also been coupled with the 30th member, uh, which shows that the alliance is alive and kicking, vibrant, dynamic, and makes decisions uh, in due time. You know, there's been such tremendous progress on NATO. The EU accession process is one that is stalled at this moment. And obviously, your government has really been brave in the sense of taking on historic diplomatic issues, moving forward on key reforms. How do you move that process forward? And I know it takes two to tango, actually, in the sense of the, of, of the EU. It's all the member states to decide whether or not to move forward on, on membership. How do those prospects look and how important is it to begin accession negotiations in 2019? You know, I have been involved in the European accession process of my country for too long. Uh, And since the first moment, this is uh, what I'm hearing. Fatigue, doubts, uh, second thoughts by some member states. Uh, And in a way, as a person, I I don't... uh, I don't, I am sometimes frustrated, but I don't give up. And this is how countries like North Macedonia should behave. Is it easy? Never. It has never been easy. Is it straightforward? Never. Is it fair? 
Not very often. From the moment when we as a country have expressed our desire to join the EU, there were many doubts. You know, the EU was not prepared to start another accession after the, the, the big enlargement in 2004. But we kept pushing and we kept knocking on their door and we became a candidate country in 2005 in spite of some opposition in more or less uh, same countries. Uh, now, I, I think that this is phase two. We see some hesitation. The good thing is that this hesitation has nothing to do with us, with North Macedonia and our performance. All of the members of the European Union have been very explicit in saying that we have done something close to a miracle. Not only two diplomatic victories with Bulgaria and then Greece, but also an incredible domestic reform agenda. Most people believe that it, it cannot be done in such a short time. Restore media freedom, improve uh, rule of law, start uh, strong anti-corruption strides, increase transparency, and engage in defense <laughs> reforms. It was close to impossible. And on top of it all, I think that the biggest achievement that North Macedonia has made in the last two years is actually the big integration within our own society. We are a diverse country. We have different ethnic groups. This was a source of weakness and risk for the country. We have transformed this into really an opportunity and an asset for North Macedonia. So we have been successful. The EU had their doubts with regards to generally accession talks, but we will not give up. And in spite of the frustrations that are visible in the country, despite of the fact that we expect it if we deliver that the EU will deliver, we will continue promoting these values and asking for the accession process not to stall. Are you feeling positive that you're going to get a green light in the fall? Um, I have a saying, and sometimes I think I overuse it, but it's helpful in times like this. If you're a politician, you have to be an optimist. But if you're a politician in the Balkans, you're damned if you're not an optimist. I mean, what can you offer to the people? More tears and, and more conflicts? No, I, I, I always focus, we have always focused on what can we do to prove that we have earned our accession talks. We have earned them and we will convince the skeptics that this is also good for the EU, not only for the Balkans and not only for North Macedonia. Gordana, I want to bring you into this conversation. The Balkans Trust for Democracy has been working for over 16 years in the Western Balkans, supporting Euro-Atlantic integration, supporting democracy, civil society strengthening. How important is it for North Macedonia and for Albania, for that matter, to begin accession negotiations with the EU? And I, and I wanted to ask you about this because I... Just in talking to a number of people from civil society and media in the Balkans, you get a sense of frustration that somehow the, the bar keeps getting raised and that despite what the minister said, which is you know, signing historic agreements, moving forward on key reforms, the, the, the path forward in EU membership, which is critical to this region, is, is still not clear. So how important is it to have clarity this year on the, for both North Macedonia and Albania? And, and certainly want to hear you talk a little bit about the importance of, of moving countries forward on the EU track. Well, to answer your question, I think as much as it is important for North Macedonia and Albania and the whole of the Western Balkan region, not to say that for the whole of the Southeast Europe, it is equally important for the European Union. 
I'm not quite sure that the leaders in the European Union realize that. But um, in my view, the deepening of the European Union cannot happen without continuing the enlargement process in its southeast, simply because it poses uh, a tremendous security threat. It's simply like a house non-finished. You cannot feel safe and well in a home that doesn't have a front door or back door, really, with a good lock. So, in my view, um, not only that it would disappoint people in North Macedonia and in Albania, but specifically in North Macedonia, because of what happened in the last year and a half, uh, the people really went out, um, you know, uh, into the streets uh, and made a significant change. And this significant change did not happen overnight, and it was posing a risk on, on, on them and their society. Uh, and if there is a disappointment after such an effort, I'm afraid that the third players who are very much present in the region may abuse this kind of situation and reverse the good outcome that we have had recently um, and reverse it for, for their benefit, which would not be good. And I am simply worried that the European Union again may wake up when it's a bit too late. And I think we need more voices, we need more of podcasts like this, if you want, that would warn about the possibility and of negative effects that such a decision to again procrastinate with North Macedonia in particular and with Albania cannot bring any good. Is, is there a plan B? I to, wish I knew. <laughs> we're hearing from some, and I'm not going to name the names of countries, but that there's an alternative. Is there a plan B or is this it? Uh, well, you, every country needs to have many plans, but uh, our, our strategic plan since the 90s, when it was inconceivable, unimaginable, was this dual track, NATO and the EU. And we have disagreed on many issues within the country. On these issues, we have been united. And this is probably the only issue on which we have full parliamentary support. The reason why we could convince two-third majority of members in the parliament to vote in favor not only of the PRESPA agreement, but on constitutional changes, was this implicit promise. We become a NATO member, we start accession talks with the EU. And I remember some of the members of parliament visiting the new NATO headquarters. For them, it was the first time to visit. They came with a renewed sense of mission. Yes, we will vote for a painful compromise because all compromises are painful, but we will do something for the country that will stabilize it and, and, and give a completely different perspective. Just last year, with the invitation to NATO, we have managed to quadruple the foreign direct investments. Is it good for us? It's great. But it is good also for the predominantly European companies that have invested in the country. So there is a shared interest. Also, let me, let me tell you, I mean, EU cannot abandon the Balkans, even if they want to. Let us go back to, to the 90s when we had 50 to 60,000 EU soldiers, most of them from the EU, and when the European Union was actually spending more than $100 million or euros just to support peace. The, the region has moved forward. 
But now we need the political investment, not so much the money, but the political investment that the continent can be free and united. There are nationalistic forces in all our countries. These nationalistic forces are always very instrumental in sowing discord. What we have shown in North Macedonia with the referendum, with the presidential elections, is that these individuals are a minority. They have been defeated politically, but they are there and they're waiting for another opportunity. If there is no delivery from our side, but also if there is no, no deliverable from the EU side, these groups, not only in North Macedonia, throughout the region, will gain the arguments. They will get the necessary ammunition to say, look, we will never be accepted. We can never hope for a European future. And it will, it will actually strengthen them. So I believe if you analyze the history of Europe, a lot is at stake in the Balkans. It's not just our countries. It's also how the European Union and how the European continent will develop in the future. I don't believe that we are the center of the universe, of course, but the EU can show its global role by exercising its role on the continent. And this is a certain success. If you cannot claim the certain success, how will you deal with still imminent crisis? What happens to North Macedonia will influence positively or negatively the negotiations between Belgrade and Pristina. It will definitely affect discussions over Bosnia. So I do think that we need a virtuous spiral. We need the positive example. And uh, there are rare opportunities when we can actually deliver such an example. So I hope that this is seized. Certainly, this is a, a moment in time, and there, you'd certainly have a great deal of support. But some of the criticism has also may not be directed just to North Macedonia, but to the region is democratic backsliding. What, what needs to be done on this front? Well, um, allow me to quote uh, one of my favorite analysts, uh, Ivan Krastev, and um, he spent his entire life studying why things fall apart. And he says, things do not fall apart from their peripheries, but from the center. So whatever is happening in the Balkans is actually an ugly mirror reflection of what is happening in the center, meaning the EU. This is why I said in the beginning that the deepening of the European Union cannot happen without its enlargement into its backyard, into the southeast of Europe. So the backsliding is absolutely happening not just in uh, the countries of the Western Balkans. You mentioned it yourself that it's happening in the EU. I believe it's also happening because of the promise not being fulfilled in a continuation. Are you talking about the EU promise to the to exactly. the two countries of the Balkans about you do this, we're going to move to the next step? Precisely. Okay. And over and over again, the, the promise wasn't fulfilled, right? I mean, the reason why the transatlantic community, not just the EU, but, but US and the EU, were able to stop the conflict in the Balkans was because of the EU promise. The EU enlargement has been the foreign policy of US vis-a-vis -vis this region. The EU's Foreign policy in general has always been enlargement. I have no clue right now what is actually the EU's foreign policy. I think it has to come up with something new. What it will be, we will see. But the more it waits, 
with the creation of a new foreign policy or with the enlargement, the more is at stake for the EU and for the Balkan countries, and the Balkan countries will be an unnecessary sacrifice in all this here. Obviously, these challenges on the EU track and also on NATO is outside interference. I'm, I know it's a, a subject that, that is challenging for your government, but certainly in the context of the discussion of joining NATO, one looks back at what took place in Montenegro and what was clearly Russian interference to prevent Montenegro from joining NATO. Is that a concern? Until 2014, we actually never had an open message from Moscow challenging our NATO membership because uh, the membership aspirations of uh, our country were clear since 1993. And it was never an issue in our bilateral relations with, with Moscow, with Russia. It has changed after 2014, and we have had very strong statements opposing our membership. We said we want good relations with Russia, but the strategic choices about our orientation and our position are ours to make. And we have been consistent with this message. The easy way of impeding our NATO membership was by impeding the Prespa Agreement. And we have seen uh, different kinds of meddling, both in Greece and within our own political elite. And we have survived. Will it continue to, to be uh, an issue? Probably yes. But we have shown resilience. Can you talk to us a little bit about your contributions, the contributions of North Macedonia to NATO? Because I think it's important, and I've often heard said, well, what can North Macedonia bring to the table as an, a partner of, of the United States and other NATO members? I think what we can offer are not only our participation in international operations. We have been engaged in Afghanistan, in Lebanon, in Bosnia, in Kosovo's missions. We will continue to, to do so. But it is also a contribution to the regional stability that we bring to the table. And we bring some lessons learned. Our big lesson was that neither EU nor NATO should underestimate crisis in our region. This was the big lesson of our political crisis a few years ago. And the second lesson is that we should not overlook progress because it's so rare. So I, I believe these two lessons are very, very important. When I was uh, listening to how should the center deal with the periphery, I think what they should uh, read is an old quote by Katharina the Great, if I'm not mistaken, saying that the only way I can protect my border is by enlarging them. I think this is the big lesson to the EU. The only way it can secure its border is by enlarging them. It's by enlarging this area of stability and prosperity that they have invested so much into. How important is it for the United States to remain a, a leader in terms of engagement as a partner, you know, in the region. And, and, and if you had, if there were things that, that you think would be helpful to moving the region forward that the U.S. could do, what would that be? The first speech I had at the Defense Ministerial as an, a country invited to join NATO was to speak about the benefits of uh, EU-NATO cooperation and the benefits of having an engaged, still engaged and active United States. Every time we were confronted with a crisis, we moved from the crisis sooner, quicker, and with less damage if EU and the US, EU and NATO work together. And we have seen the benefits and the potential of that cooperation. When uh, we were struggling with our own internal ethnic divides in 2001, 
It was a joint operation by EU and NATO that actually helped us save ourselves. And both EU and NATO could be proud. The US commitment to help us with the political breakthrough, but also the commitment of NATO to send troops and the commitment of the EU to stay politically committed was what changed the reality. So this was a very clear success. And every time we have the duo in active enough, loud enough, and straightforward enough, we have joint successes. For us, it was very important uh, to see a, a strong US commitment for our NATO membership. It didn't came as a present. It was difficult, uh, actually, to convince everyone that we are still important, that the Balkans still matters. But when we had the signal from Washington, D.C., things started moving. And I was very happy, very satisfied, very grateful during the first congressional hearing on North Macedonia's membership into, into NATO to see such a bipartisan, very strong support with very clear arguments speaking about NATO's interest and also about what North Macedonia brings to the table. Renata? I think the importance of U.S. being involved is, I mean, it goes even without saying. Transatlantic cooperation has generally been successful in the Balkans. Um, and, and I think the whole region can be viewed as a success of that uh, transatlantic cooperation. The other thing is that the security of uh, Europe, not just European Union, but of, of, of the entire continent, is very dependent on its transatlantic cooperation and on, on, on the relationship. So I would say that um, the process of Europe free and whole cannot happen without the involvement of the United States, whether you know we want to admit it or as some leaders in the EU do not want to admit it. This is simply true. And also, European Union doesn't have its own army. It is dependent on NATO. It is dependent on the transatlantic cooperation. So I believe that for the future of our worlds, it is absolutely inevitable that this relationship is being taken care of. That was the last word. Gordana, thank you. Madam Minister, thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the time at GMF's Brussels Forum to come join us. Um, and we really look forward to our next conversation. Gordana, thank you as well. Uh, the Balkans Trust for Democracy has been a leading voice uh, in support of Euro-Atlantic integration for 16 years. That I, can I say that twice um, <laughs> or three times? And it's really your voice and sort of the work that you've been doing. Uh, it's so critical, and we want to thank you for being here. Thank both of you. And uh, again, this is a wrap. Thanks for listening to Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. Out of Order is produced by Sydney Simon and Zachary Tarrant. New episodes will be available every other Thursday. Subscribe and download on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts.